high above the auction gallery floor on the corner of Kapaus and Wallen in beautiful Scranton, Pennsylvania. We bring you the podcast about antiques, collectibles, estate sales, flea markets, and the ins and outs of the auction business. Tales from the gavel. And with us, we have my significant other, Marjorie. She's also head of human resources, and she keeps me calm. I have my general manager, manager Isabel. I'll show oxygen, uh, auction, <laughs> auction um, she? apprentice. She's auction apprentice. She's got auction. We all have oxygen. All right. And with us today, special get, guest. I do that. Okay. And we have a special guest. Marjorie, take it away. Okay. So this is episode 11, and our special guest is Matt Goyce. He did the repairs on the NAS, so we're very lucky to have him here. And he also does the whole gamut of plastic cars, and so he'll be here discussing that with us, his business, and anything else. All right. So, Matt, I, you got our NASH running. I've been around classical cars, classic cars for my whole life, and they never start. And I, um, I thank you for coming. Okay. Yeah, thank you for having me. Can you, one of you, explain the Nash? Because, like, I don't think a lot of people are familiar with what kind of a car it is and what it, when it's from and blah, 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 blah. So can you just go into uh, The Nash that you guys have coming up for sale in your next auction is, uh, uh, it was an economy car made by the Nash Automobile Company. It was Metropolitan. And, uh, you know, it's, it was the smallest car that Nash made in the line of cars they had that year. Uh, I believe that was a '56, correct? Well, it's I—that's I, what I, I'm told, yeah. but it's it's titled '59. Yeah. So which it, isn't isn't uncommon for no, classic cars that's, to have some right. discrepancies titling. Um, yeah, it's a you know it's a neat car. It's it's little. Yeah. It's very it little. Is little. That was you know that was that was kind of a a popular subculture of the car world back then because they're really good on gas. They're great in cities. They were easy to park. Uh, they were great. They, they marketed cars towards women in the 50s, and that was a car that was made to be marketed directly towards a car the wife can drive, a car that the wife can drive easily. And uh, you, you can tell because it's super think, cute. Yeah, yeah. What do you think that retailed back for in 1956? Um, a lot less than what we see cars going for nowadays. Uh, I'm not sure what the Metropolitan went for, but I, I can't imagine it being much more than you know a few thousand dollars. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's 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 got a decent restoration on it. Um, it's pink. When, when you were working on it, we were discussing the different grades of cars. Could you explain that? You said I believe you said it was one to four. Sure. Yeah, um, pretty widely accepted in the car world. There's there's a one to four rating for classic cars. Um, a four being as low as you could go for a car that's still roadworthy. It may have some parts on it that aren't accurate. It may need some cosmetic repairs. It may need some mechanical repairs. But overall, it's still a complete vehicle. It's not a parts car. Uh, and it goes all the way up to one, where a, a, a number one car would be an absolute pristine example of an automobile, most likely restored to a better condition than when it was new. Uh, there's just absolutely zero flaws. They don't get driven. They're only used as exhibits. Yeah. And in between there, you have threes and twos, and that's where the most cars fall, is in the two or three range, Yeah. Uh, as driver quality, either all original or restored cars that people enjoy. 
So um, you 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 curate a large collection. Um, yeah, I uh, I offer collection management services, and that's that's what, where most of my work comes from. It ends up being a lot of mechanical and maintenance work with historical research. Uh, I take care of a, a couple large collections, and uh, anywhere from I've got a client that has six cars, I've got a client that has forty-two cars. Any Duesenbergs? Uh, I, I've worked on a few Duesenbergs. Yeah. Okay, that's a that's like working yeah. on a wristwatch. Yeah, we've got one in in one of the collections I under my care right now. Yeah, just got it a few months ago, actually. Wow. Yeah. So when you um when your patrons uh purchase cars do they often buy them at auctions or is it through private sales or anything like that uh, it's both are common in the car world um a lot of cars go to auction especially the higher end cars there's auction houses that only do classic cars high end um a lot of guys don't want to have their name out there when they're buying a car for a large sum so a lot of it ends up being private party as well some cars that are really rare trade hands so few times that you know, it's, it's a documented event just when that specific car is for sale. So a lot of those are usually private party. Mm. It's big news if they come to the public market. Yeah. So, okay. So let's say it's just any average person out there and they're looking into buying a classic car, not, not at a high end sure. auction, but they're just kind of maybe looking to restore something, something they can do sure. on their As own. Yeah. So what should they be looking out for? Like what's kind of the basic things of it? If someone's expressed interest in getting into the classic car hobby, the first thing I would have them do is join a local club because anywhere in the country, there's local clubs for cars. Uh, and they usually have a larger national affiliate and that'll put you in touch with other people that are in the hobby that can guide you in the right direction. If they get to the point where they're looking for a car and they have one that they want to go look for, um, they want to look at the history of the car, whatever the owner has that they can provide. Has it been restored? Who did the work? What kind of work was done? Um, there's a lot that can be hidden on a classic car, like rust or mechanical issues. Um, they're not like our modern cars where there's a light that pops up on the dash and you can tell what's wrong with it, or you can't take it to a modern mechanic to have it repaired anymore. So getting a professional opinion is a really safe way and always doing an in-person inspection. Don't just go off photographs. I'm sure you guys run into that a lot too. With oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, photographs can, can misrepresent a car a lot. Right. Yeah. The, we, we, there's, it, there's a good chance that we will sell that Nash to somebody who hasn't seen it yet. Yeah. There's yeah. a good chance it happened. It happens. Yeah. It happens. Oh, I, it does especially right now. Right. Um, like for example, um, I think a couple of years ago we had a Mercedes convertible 1970s, I think. 72 uh, SL Mercedes convertible. Mm -hmm. And that was completely bought online and it, the guy who bought it wasn't even here and it went like overseas. We, met, we shipped it to Cambodia. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. yeah. And it, it was a beautiful thing. Yeah, it was running. Only, was, only, yeah. only simple things are called beautiful things. It, we, he, he, we kept it for ninety days, and mm -hmm. he proceeded to fill the thing up with antiques. Yes, and so, rugs. Yeah, rugs. We were rugs. sticking rugs in there, and yes. <laughs> record players. You know, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to touch back on something you mentioned quickly. Um, you said you do um, you check on history. Do you enjoy that part of it? The I research do. of it. Uh, that's probably. 
I don't get to do that as much as I would like. Uh, some collectors don't always recognize the value in tracing the history of an automobile, especially a significant car. Uh, I love doing that. It's it's fun to go digging. I've got uh, subscriptions to all the you know national newspaper archives, and uh, you know you find a lot out at the library. Just digging on you know specific VIN numbers and serial numbers. Um, there's especially I, I specialize in brass era and pre-war cars, so pre-1942. Mm. Uh, back in the day when automobiles were new. It was a big deal when someone bought a car. So like in Scranton, there's newspaper articles from 1906 about these coal barons and magnates that lived in the hill section. Whenever they would buy a new automobile, it made the front page of the paper. So you can trace that to a specific car that might still exist today. And having that provenance of the car, the whole way from start to finish to where it is now today, can really increase the value of the car too. So if somebody wants to research their car, where would be like quick, Places they could easily go and find that information, just like just as a novice. The best place to start is who you bought the car from, and then who they bought it from, and hopefully that's not a long list. Mm. Uh, that firsthand knowledge. Some, sometimes people that are selling a car may not even realize how relevant that information is to the new owner. Saying, you know, oh yeah, I pulled it out of this this barn in in this city in Michigan, you know. And, and finding the history of the car. Old license plates that may still be with the car. You can, if you're close with anyone at your local DMV, they can trace registration numbers for you, serial numbers, license plate numbers. Um, and, then, and then I would start with newspaper archives. If you know where the car lived for a while, uh, you could research it that way. Uh, if it entered the collector world, say in the 50s, if it's a teen's car, you could start researching parades and stuff like that from the town it was in and and just really digging do they still do that like drive the antique cars in, in parades the, oh, yes yeah. yep <laughs> uh, yes i've been through many of those in I'm, a, I'm, 1923 rio oh yeah yeah i'm i'm all for driving a car on the open road i a parade's the last thing i want to do with some of my classes those cars. old ones they're you know that they're They've been can wreak havoc on a car. Yes, too. they could. Yeah, it could. They're they're, they're old. They're idling and they're overheating. And, right. But, so yeah. So what would you say uh, the biggest mistakes people do when they buy a car? Like just either sight unseen or just they're new to it. Like what? There's a couple things that that can can really hinder a person when they're getting into the car hobby. Um, a sometimes they don't do their research. Uh, they don't know exactly what they're getting into. They can, it's, it's easy to get discouraged in the classic car world because it takes a lot of patience, especially if you're doing a restoration. And the, the biggest thing that can help someone stay positive about restoring a classic car is interacting with other people that are doing the same stuff. Because the car world itself, the people that are in the hobby are so supportive. They're so supportive of new people being in the hobby, going on tours with them. So really just, you know, recognizing what resources you have and using them to your fullest extent. Um, What's their favorite car that you've restored? My, my favorite car, I, I'll, that's a tough question. I'll narrow it down to a favorite brand. Okay. Um, I collect Franklin's and Franklin's were a car made uh, from 1902 to 1934 in Syracuse, New York. And that's what, 
is now deemed an orphan car. So any manufacturer that made cars that went out of business and went now defunct is an orphan car. And I really got hooked on Franklin's at a young age. I was 18. And I love their engineering and the style of the cars and just the whole company. It's a really interesting history how they came to be. So I've got five of them right now. Wow. <laughs> what kind of car of are, are they? Like, I have no drivers. idea what a Franklin um, is. I've got a, a 1922 touring car. So it's a five passenger car with a big convertible top, no windows. It's kind of like for nice weather driving and stuff like that. Oh, it's like that. Is that was that like the California Starlet car? Yeah, similar. To that. Yeah. Um, so you know, big top that folds down, and there's tiny little doors, and like it kind of like the Beverly there. Hillbillies car, yeah. but <laughs> not not, but probably with paint and everything. Yeah. yeah <laughs> but that's yeah. Okay. Um, and then a couple of friends I have are, are projects. They're you know they're have had an interesting life. I've got a 1917 Brom, which is what we would call today like a two door kind of like that. They, they had a lot of different uh, names for cars. Do they have wood they, frames or? They do. Franklin's yeah. had wood frames until 1928. Yeah. That was a transition year. Okay. Uh, That's an interesting sure. question. So, okay. Let's say you have a vintage car, right? Uh -huh. With a wood frame. Okay. So let's say you want to update that car. Is that like a no-no in the car world to replace it with maybe something more, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Correct me if I'm wrong, but a Franklin is not a starter collector car. <laughs> well, yes and no. So <laughs> crazy. The, yeah. great part, the great part about Franklins is they're very unique. Yeah. And they're not really well known and they're mm -hmm. kind of weird. And they're air cooled. So they've got a funky look too. They weren't a conventional car back in the day. So, all that being said, they're very affordable. So, in some ways, a Franklin is an amazing car for someone to have as a first classic if they want a pre-war car of right. vintage. And there's an amazing support network for the club. Franklin Club is the only club that has almost all the factory blueprints for every piece and part that was ever made for Franklin Club. Why is that? Why is that? I know the other ones do the, not. The company saved them. And uh -huh. when, when our club formed and we had our first meet in the 50s, the people that started the company donated all the blueprints to the club. Oh, that's fortunate. It's it's a miracle, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, parts that are no longer exist, we can reproduce. usually have a blueprint for mm -hmm. it and give it to someone to have reproduced or reproduce ourselves. Um, that That's a misconception about getting into the car world is that, you know, all these cars are high dollar. That's not the case. The ones that we see in the limelight are the high dollar cars, but there's a, a tons of affordable cars. That Nash would be a great first car for someone wanting to get into the Clearly, hobby. yes, yeah. Um, and it's, you know, something that you can work on. There's a good parts sort uh, network for the Nash. There's clubs for Nash Metropolitans. Uh, and you know, you can get into the hobby without a large investment. So what's the hot brand car right now? Like what's the car well, to have the that's going to cost me like 10 million? What's, well, what there's, it? there's some cars that always stay expensive. Like you mentioned Duesenberg's, uh, sixties and seventies Ferraris. And, yeah. and really rare stuff. Italian stuff is expensive. Always. Uh, what's kind of up and coming right now is low production 80s cars. Okay. Yeah, like just like, it's just like any other Saab, antique. Yeah. Uh, a lot of Japanese market cars, Nissan GTRs and uh, stuff like that, especially when they're original and low mileage, because those are going to be the cars that we don't know how to restore yet. 
we don't know how to restore plastic dashes and stuff like that. Yeah, that's true. A wood, you know, if yeah. something's made out of wood, we can redo it. If it's made out of metal, we can shape it. But some of those parts are how, deteriorating. How about Yugos? Is there a Yugos a Yugo collector? Yeah, I, I think there's probably a cult following for Yugos. But, yeah, uh, I don't you know don't see them much at the car shows? I don't think they've hit the million dollar mark. No, okay, yeah. <laughs> Um, a few years ago, I think when the show, it was a British show, Life on Mars came out. Um, that was a good show. Yes. There was um, that 81 or an 80 Audi that was mm -hmm. in it. Like, it was very prominent. It was like this red Audi, which I loved. But, like, the after that show, the prices of those Audis went through the roof. Yeah. So, well, that's, yeah. that's a big influence for, like, mainstream car culture is what people grew up with seeing and, you know, what posters they had on their walls. So the people now that are getting into their middle-aged lives that have some expendable income, they're going after those 80s and even 90s cars now. Yeah. Do you have a crazy restoration story? Like, what is the absolute craziest thing that you've ever had to restore that, like, really kind of... Yeah, that was, like, pushed off the boat yeah. and in the fire. What's, and... what's a crazy story yeah. that you have? Well, I know you've got them. It's kind of, one that I'm just embarking on is, is one of my Franklins. It's... I brought the car home from Wisconsin in pieces, and it's the only one that exists that's left. Uh, it's, it's the last known example of a 1917 Franklin Brown, and it's been through two different restorations that both failed and a barn fire. Mm. So, and it's made out of aluminum, so most of the body oh, melted. Wow. So, it, aluminum and wood, two things that don't degrade. <laughs> no. Fire. Uh -huh. So that that'll be. A labor of love, a long-term restoration, but worth it for preserving history. Sure. I'll probably have much more in that car than what it's actually worth face value when it's done. Yeah. And that's that's something that's pretty common in the car hobby, too. And a lot of people have trouble wrapping their heads around that. Restoring a car doesn't always mean that you're going to make money at the end. Most of the time, never. Yeah. It's one of the only hobbies where people think that they're going to turn a profit. No one goes golfing on Saturday and expects to walk home with fifty dollars more than what they left with. No, and it is a hobby. Yeah, and it, it it's a it's a people do it and spend the money to do it because it's something they want to do, not not always to turn a profit. And I think as I've mentioned this before in our previous podcasts, um, it's you shouldn't get into a hobby that you don't know how to fix. Like you shouldn't buy things really. Um, that you don't know how to fix on your own because you're going to get into a lot of money. Because if you have to send that out, you yeah. have to send that project out, you have to pay somebody That's, a lot of money for their time yeah. to fix it. Unless they're comfortable with that. And just knowing what you're getting into, you know, that because that's a big part of my business is people that maybe want to own a classic car but don't have a place to keep it or don't have a place to work on it or don't know how to work on it. Uh, they're not like new cars and a lot of the stuff you can't just research anymore online either they're not like new cars they're not <laughs> yeah and, me, me, and, um, you know the old saying they don't make them like they used to thank goodness yes <laughs> as absolutely as, love, as much as i love it, old cars yeah we, we have some luxuries nowadays with modern cars right yeah like kate and i we spent a good half an hour trying to figure out how to turn the lights off <laughs> in the heat in the heat trying, trying to turn the lights off like, in the back oh, and, and, and we couldn't and figure it out that's a great car and it it's just not comfortable you know like it's, it's a, it's, it runs it's but it's fun to drive you got the little <laughs> three on the tree yeah. you know it, it's 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 fun to drive this car is going to be sold long after like this we're going to sell this car saturday it's this won't come out till sure, next wednesday sure. so 
But well, and and them and say how much it's sold. They, they're just not even like a Mercedes. I used to have a one ninety SL Mercedes. It didn't drive like a three fifty SL Mercedes in nineteen fifty seven one ninety SL. I take the three fifty all day long. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and there was there was a different standard of luxury. Right. I mean, you know, my my Franklins from the twenties were considered a midline, higher line car. And they mm-hmm. competed with like Buicks and Cadillacs. Right. And it's you know it is a full time job to drive that car. Well, they, you're you driving the car now. Cars drive. Yes, now cars drive. Themselves. Yeah, you're driving. Yeah, even shifting the gears, you got to find them. Yeah, they're non synchronized. Right. Double clutch and match RPMs. Mm-hmm. It is a. It's sitting in a like do, thinking of doing that for like a ten hour yeah. trip is, is brutal. I know my dad would sp- <laughs> my dad would spend all Saturday fixing it for it to break down on Sunday. Yep, <laughs> <laughs> and then just bring it back and and repeat. Fix drive, break repeat. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So can you um, do you have any websites or anything like that that you can quickly go and research a Vintage cars, like sure. some tips for people. So, um, restoring cars, you know, there's there's an endless amount of information about the histories of cars and stuff like that. Almost every brand has its own Wikipedia page. As far as like, if you wanted to buy a car, there's places to look online. Uh, Hemmings Motor News, a lot of still like magazine subscriptions that you know it's a good way to enter into the hobby, start reading about stuff. Um, and, and nationwide clubs that are bound to have someone within a 10-mile radius of you that's also in the club. It's like AACA, the Antique Automobile Club of America. We've got about 60,000 members nationwide. So there's there, there's still a thriving hobby for all this stuff. And, and that's, a, that's a great way to start. Go to a local meeting and, and just see what's out there. Do they still have shows at the International Salt or did they move? I, I haven't been to a car show in... I know they 30 had years. for a couple of years they the salt flats. Yeah, over no up in uh, oh, up here inter, local. yeah local. Yeah, they uh, the AACA show uh, was moved to uh, Allied. Oh, okay. Clark Summit. All right. Um, I'm actually on the board of directors for yeah. the club. Uh, this year our show's been canceled due to the, the sure. unforeseen circumstances. Yeah. But uh, but every year we have that show. It's usually a great turnout. We've added a rain date just in case. Uh-huh. Um, and there's. Pennsylvania is rich with car shows yes. and culture. Yeah. Hershey, Pennsylvania is the mecca. Oh, I've been car. there. Do you, you still go every year? Every year. Every yeah. Year. It's like a family. You can't, I used to take the Winnebago down yeah, and bring yeah. 10 cars. It's, Nightmare. It's so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's where I learned my trade, the flea market. Those, sure. Back in the day, that's the only place there was a, a, yeah. a, a, a flea market. Really yeah. Cars. Yeah, it's, absolutely. Uh, it's a whole community. Yeah. It's, um, and, and, you know, there's... There's a, a growing, a growing network of younger people that are into the car world too. That are collecting these, maybe, what we would still consider somewhat modern car, like the '80s and '90s. So, what's the cutoff to take your car to a antique show? The AACA recognizes antique as 25 years or older. Okay. So that brings us up to 1994. Wow. Oh, yeah. Which is, is hard to wrap your head around. But if you look at a car from 1994 and a car from 2020 yeah they're pretty different yeah true they are they are and uh and that's you know that's that's always been a recurring about every 10 years there's you know this new aha moment in the car world where people kind of 
smirk and say, that's antique now? Yeah, but well, it's true. And and uh, people said the same thing in the 40s about Model A's. Yeah. And now no one would ever argue that Model A is antique. Those are good cars. <laughs> Those are good cars. They're easy to fix, still still yeah. highly collectible, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Model yeah. A's have a great quality. You know, they, a, they made tons of them, so they yeah. never skyrocketed. Lots of parts. I lots think you could parts. you could probably build one just with the you know. I'm sure you can. You yeah. can build one right out of the magazine. Yeah. You can still buy Ford branded parts for yeah. a Model A and a Model T. Yeah. Do you have? That's what I learned to drive on as a Model T. First yeah. car I ever drove was a Model T with the gas on the. Yeah. The. Yep. Yeah. Do you have any? Um, I'm not a hundred years old. But. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any knowledge in, in the modern car way, or is that like your past? It's, it's kind of, the, the modern car world is kind of foreign to me. You know, I, I, I don't understand it. My, my, my How old are you again? Let's I'm, just talk about that for a second. I'm 25. Okay. Um, and I, I, my. So you're not a, you're not a classic car <laughs> I'm not a classic. You just turned classic. I just turned classic yeah. ASCA yeah. certified. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, uh, no, my, my interest, my cutoff for like really what I tend to work on and, and gravitate around, I try to stay pre-1942 and I'll take anything up to about 1975-ish. Yeah, right before electronics. That, you know, yeah, right before. We had, in the, the early mid-70s, we had the fuel crisis. We started to get electronic uh, fuel injection and really bogged down cars. That's just, you know, it gets more complicated than what I like to work on. <laughs> I like the primitive stuff because... It has its own set of understanding. So, do you think there's there's still like, I don't know, like a Ford Taurus with the unibody? It's going to rust out, and ninety nine percent of them are going to land up in the crusher. Do you still do you think people are going to that's actually someday going to become a desired car, or if there's any going to be around because they're all crushed? Well, there's a spin on that. So it's funny you mentioned Ford Taurus, the four cylinder automatic Ford Taurus that yeah. rusted out that you know a soccer mom drove. That car's not probably going to be collectible, but the Ford Taurus SHO with the Yamaha engine, five-speed manual transmission, that car, which is still a Ford Taurus, is a collectible car right now. Sure. I could, yeah. All right. So those, those cars that were lower production and sought after when they were new, those are the ones that you can almost always guarantee are going to mature in value and, and be desirable later on. So what do you think for the future of collectible cars? Like, what do you think is the next big thing? Like, oh, that, put you on I, spot. What's the next I, big thing? If I had that information, I, I don't even know if I'd give it away. No, <laughs> no, I, yeah, no. It's, um, what do you like? I like stuff that's already ancient. And, yeah. You know, I my my Franklins are very affordable. Uh, the next big thing. Well, wait a week, because when this podcast <laughs> comes out, that's over. If everyone's trying to figure out what the next big thing is, uh, so they can buy them up now before it happens. And and there's been, it, history repeats itself in the car world where no one ever thought that specific car would be worth a lot of money, but it happens. Uh, 300 SL Roadster Mercedes-Benz. In the you know, 60s and 70s, you could buy those cars for Three to five thousand dollars. Yeah, there's very few now that don't break a million dollars. Really? Yeah. Three hundred SL Roadsters are highly desirable. Two door. Yes. Convertible. Yeah, the, the Roadsters or even the SL Coupes. The, okay. The Gull Wings. Yeah, uh, yeah, the Gull Wings, but they had shit engines in them. Well, <laughs> they, they they really did. They're, they're, they, they're underpowered. Yeah. But um, no. So what? So if 
the car you would want to buy now would be a 2000. What would you buy? What car 2000, like a year? The year 2000? Oh. Reduction date. I, I would, I'd probably buy the, the low mileage Japanese something, you know, the, the sports car that Toyota made in the 2000s, because in, in a few years it'll be able to be imported and, and that'll probably take off. Yeah. Uh, th that's where a lot of the collector are turning their low, head. low number. Low production, low production, low mileage, yeah, all original. A lot of people that are collecting the more modern cars, they don't want anything that's been. I mean, they don't want them with those the the, the little um. <laughs> no, the the muffler that sounds like a firecracker. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the can on the back. Yeah, the can on the back <laughs> and the low profile tires. Yeah, all all original. Yes, is a, a good term to go by. Yeah, yeah. whoever you are that's doing car. that on Kapow's, please. That's no, that's no, a great no, thing to be conscious about. In any class of car that someone's interested in buying is, is recognizing what modifications have been made to it and knowing you know what work has been done to it because that can mm -hmm. really affect the value and that's that's never a good feeling to get to get too deep into a project car that, that you can't get back out of so yeah but you could always pass it on that's true oh yeah you know there's always you know there's, there's always, always somebody more courageous than you are was just as passionate as you might have been yeah. when you got the car. I have a question. Sure. When did you get into this? I like not that it's any that it makes a difference, but you and I are the same age, which I find baffling because you are so articulate in cars, and I just find it so fascinating that you have this much knowledge, and it's just like this would go right over my head. <laughs> so when did it start? That's, when did this? That's the the age old question. I don't know why I'm so passionate about classic cars. I used to have my mother drop me off at car shows when I was 12. Wow. And I'd say, come pick me up in a few hours. I'll be, I'll be all through. Uh, I went to college uh, in uh, Kansas at a small private school that had a degree in classic car restoration. So I had a strong interest and I really refined my skills at this college. I got a bachelor's degree and able to hone my skills and uh, go different directions. I did a lot of internships where I worked at an auction house learned a ton doing that. Uh, we, I, I worked at a classic car auction house that would move well over 2,000 cars a year. Uh, in the area or in Nebraska? Uh, Auburn, Indiana. Oh, okay, yeah. Auctions are big, big for everything in the middle of the, in the, middle of the country, yeah. And, and especially in the classic car world, the, the auctions, they're, they're more than just an auction. They're, they're an event. Yeah. There's always I've, a car show, a yeah. swap meet, or something in conjunction with it. Uh, it's a whole event. How many cars would they sell in a, in a day? Uh, our biggest sale when I worked it was in the fall, and we could expect to move anywhere from 350 to 450 cars a day. Wow! Yeah, any, nonstop. Any tips for anybody who's going to those, those auctions? Anyone going to those auctions? Uh, Put on your big boy pants. Yeah. <laughs> register to bid. Yeah. I yeah. Know a lot of people yeah. that show up at the auctions Ooh. don't realize that they have to register to bid. We know that. I bet you guys experienced that too. And and uh, you know. Set a price before it comes up, and you know, I'm sure you guys like it when people catch the auction. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, but in the car world, it's really easy. It's they look great under the auction lights, mm -hmm. and uh, do a pre-purchase inspection. Yeah, and and do one, do an independent one, and do one through the company. So, for those of us who don't know, the those types of auctions are. Um, are we looking at like mint cars, like cars that are ready to go? Like I'm gonna get in it, I'm gonna there's cruise down kinds. the road, or uh, there's all kinds. There's and and usually 
and the car auction, the cars are always well described and you can usually inquire about the history long before the sale. But there are project cars they'll sell too. So a lot of them are get in and go. A lot of them are get in and don't go. <laughs> and they need work and they, you never know what's been done to it before. And that, that's the important part about really digging into the specific car and knowing what you can spend and what you should spend on it beforehand. And that, that's, you know, that, that's gotten to the point where that's something people pay me to do for them. They, they want to go to an auction and be confident in what they're buying. So you will go with them and supervise them at the auction. Yeah, That's I'll, a good service to have. I'll do, uh, you know, weeks before the auction, preferably, I will lay eyes on a car, dig into its history, search the VIN numbers, you know, search the serial numbers, find out everything I can about that car before they bid on it, find out information that maybe even the auction house doesn't know. So basically, if you're not doing all the research, get a guy that does all the research. Sure. Yeah. It's worth then you're it. the guy. Yeah. I'm the guy. Because <laughs> as I will say, as I say at least twice a week, as is, where is, yep. with no implied <laughs> warranties. Yep. And that's the way every auction I know goes. It is true. Yeah. So that means if you drive it off the lot and it breaks down. Yeah. As long as it got past the white line. Yes, the exactly. <laughs> and, you know. <laughs> so it, it really pays to do a thorough inspection on there's a lot going on in an automobile. There's a lot that could be changed and a lot that could go wrong. So, and, and, and I even I even facilitate down to the, the transport after the sale. Because some people buy a car and then they say, hey, how do I get this home? I live four states away or mm. I don't have a truck or trailer or I can't drive this car right now. And I, I'll arrange all that and make sure it arrives at the doorstep safely. That's a good service because really it's not the easiest thing to do. It can be overwhelming, mm -hmm. especially when you show up to an auction for the first time. It's, it's you know, it's kind of like a kid in a candy store for a car collector. In, in Scranton, most of the car auctions are for dealers only. Is that correct? That's true. Some of the local auctions around here, every once in a while, they'll do special sales. Mannheim, do they do? Do you you have to be a dealer to buy there too? Correct. Or? I believe so. For okay. Their, for their standard sales. Right. Now, like, like, uh, like Carlisle, PA. Yeah. They that's... do a lot of classic car only sales. And, I, and those are open to anyone. I don't know if I read it or somebody told me that Carlisle is the oldest auction house in the country. I don't know if that's true, though. I, I can't verify that. No, I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure. I know, like, like Bonhams and Sotheby's have been around. I mean, for yeah. cars. For cars. Okay. Yeah. Because they that, that's another thing people don't realize. Is these old auction houses, they all have automotive divisions. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bonhams has a motors division. Sotheby's has a motors division. Yeah. That's where I used to work. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, there's a strong market for it. All right, Marjorie, wrap it up. Matt, um, tell people where they can find you. If you have a website, Instagram, sure. all that um, good stuff. Yeah, my Instagram is the best place to find me. I try to post my work on there. Um, it's uh, GV underscore Motorworks. Uh, Goist finished Motorworks. Uh, or they can search me, even my personal page, Matt.Goist. Find me on there. And, uh, all my info is on there. Spell that for people. Uh, G O I S T Vintage Motorworks, G V underscore Motorworks on Instagram. Very good. Thank you so much for Thank coming. You. Thank you. And our Instagram is. And so, just like you can follow Matt on Instagram, you can follow us on Instagram too, Literary Option and Appraisals. We are on Facebook, so like us on there. And then our website is literaryauction.com. And it's a new fancy website, so. You can do everything on there. You can go online, hear the podcast, 
register and bid for our online auction and see the pictures for Wednesday's auctions. You can even bid for items on our new website, correct? Yes, yes you can. And send us pictures if you have things that you want us to take a look at for a consignment. All our email stuff. address is um, talesfromthegavel at latiriauction.com. If you have any trouble getting there, just go to latiriauction.com and we're, Google us. And we're going to eat some cheeseburgers now. Yes, thank you. Time to feed Matt. So um, an amendment to Matt's um, episode, there was a lot of talk about the Nash. And since when he was here on Thursday and the auction was Saturday, we just want to let you know that the Nash sold. Yay, $7,000. And um, we have a very happy buyer. And feed Nash on the way. That's fantastic. If you want us to sell your car, give us a call. Classics only and cars itself. Thank you.